And welcome back, everybody, to yet another episode of Going for Two. It's the official podcast of the Extra Points newsletter. I'm your host and publisher of said newsletter, Matt Brown, coming at you here from beautiful Chicago, Illinois. I am joined, as always, by my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Brian Fisher. Brian, it's uh, it's been a hell of a week, huh? It absolutely has been a busy week, but uh, excited coming off the the Fourth of July. I feel like I've I've been in the pool for like the last four or five days, uh, especially with my my kiddo and. Uh, just feeling a little f- refreshed as we kind of hit the home stretch. We got uh, media days around the corner for for college football, and a lot happening in in college athletics in general. Yeah, I know. I'm I'm with you. I uh, spent most of the last couple of days either chasing explosions, watching explosions, or swimming. Um, sometimes all three at the same time, which was an absolute delight. But when I wasn't doing that, like I, I've been really busy here too because I have been writing about name, image, and likeness on a very regular basis since literally extra points was founded as some kind of uh, as, as a full-time job. Right. And now we finally moved from beyond the, uh, the theoretical into actual deals happening. And not only have we now seen several athletes sign some of those deals and create some of those deals from the more conventional to the very creative. Um, but a couple of them are now doing that with extra points. Uh, we, I, we've now had three athletes that are, are, are part of my little ambassador program. I'm, I'm close to finalizing deals with maybe as many as a half dozen more. And I thought maybe that might be an interesting thing for us to talk about because there's been no better way to really understand what this marketplace looks like in action than to actually try to do it. Because I've learned that it turns out it's a little bit more complicated than maybe you might have thought to actually give somebody a little bit of money. Yeah, it's been fascinating to kind of see it play out. And I think it's always important to keep in mind that these are the early days. You know, there's there's going to be a bit of a trial and error. uh, And and we're going to see some things that we probably are not going to see in in six months time in in two years time. And the market itself is going to dictate things. I think that's impeccably clear based on what we've been seeing, uh, you know, around the country right now. And, you know, it, it did come last minute and we've still had some compliance departments and some administrators out there and even some coaches out there scrambling and and even the athletes a little bit confused over essentially what is is going on right now but it's great for them it's great for actually money exchanging hands uh, above the table nowadays and i'm so fascinated to see as as the evolution continues where we're going to go from here yeah uh, why don't i want to talk about some of those things there a little in a little bit more detail about this idea of putting things together last minute and I, I think I think the metaphor that's been used a couple of times by some of our colleagues has been this idea of building the airplane while we're flying it. So why don't why don't I take you through what I was trying to do? Because I you know w- was pretty public about this even last month that hey when this is legal and above board I would like to sponsor a couple of athletes. I think I I, I realized that was something I wanted to do in late May. So if you decide hey I want to sponsor a couple of athletes right now. You have a couple of different ways you can go about doing it. You can reach out to an athlete directly, see if they have their DMs open on Twitter or Instagram, try to work something out. The advantage there is that that's going to be the cheapest. There's no middleman, but you don't know if they follow you. And if you're a national brand and you're trying to find somebody that might fit beyond just a a name, a school, and and a social number or a follower number, uh, doing it manually can be really cumbersome because there's like a jillion athletes, right? That's one way you can go about doing it. One another way is you could reach out to the school. And I was really re- hesitant to do this at first because I kept on reading and hearing schools say, we're not allowed to broker these deals. We're not allowed to set any of these things up. So I wasn't sure if I just wrote, sent a note to the athletic director, whether what they would be allowed to do. Um, and I reached out to three different schools, three very different kinds of schools leading up to and right after July 1st. I sent a note to Toledo. I'm an Ohio guy, grew up in Ohio. Toledo is a very strong mid-major program with uh, athletes that are good at a bunch of different sports. Sent a note out to their athletic director, I think like June 30th saying, you know, introducing myself and, and, and explaining what I was looking for. And he told me, we're not ready yet. Uh, don't, please don't reach out to any of my athletes. We haven't had these compliance conversations. We're not sure of the rules. Well, talk, talk to me again in a week. And kind of anecdotally from talking to other brands and talking to some other reporters, I don't think that was just a Toledo issue. I think that was true for a lot 
of mid and low major schools, places that don't have 30 person compliance departments, especially in states that did not have laws that were going to either going into effect on July 1st or had something on the books for maybe even later in the fall. I feel like there was a lot of confusion over essentially what the NCAA was going to permit, you know, and and what was permissible and how that would kind of filter down to the schools. And so I think that's, you know, speaking to what you, you were just saying, where a lot of the confusion is happened was in those states without those laws on the books or were taking effect on July 1st. You're you're absolutely right. I think when I reached out to Toledo, Governor DeWine had just signed his executive order like four hours beforehand. Um, I reached out to Alabama. Um, as, that's a you know the biggest athletic department school or one, one of the biggest ones. And they're in a state that had these, these laws on the books for a while. And they put out like a press release saying like, here's some, here's an FAQ for brands. If you're interested, you can send it out to this email address. So I did. Didn't hear back from anybody. And that might be because no Alabama athletes interested, and that's fine. It might be because compliance is vetting me. It might be for one uh, one of a multitude of other reasons. Uh, as of this recording, I have not heard from any athlete at Alabama. That's okay, too. Uh, and then like a day or two after July 1st, I sent a note to BYU. That's another school that, you know, my publication and myself have, have some ties to. And I actually wanted to reach out to their compliance team for a completely different. I wanted to ask them a question about a story that I published today. And then when I spoke to their compliance director, I had mentioned, hey, you know, I'm also looking and might be interested in talking to some of your women Olympic athletes. And then that guy basically put me put my, my contact information on blast, the all 300 something athletes. So I've talked to maybe 14 <laughs> um, athletes at BYU, not all of whom I'm going to actually sponsor. But like that was an example of an effective conversation. Your results will vary dramatically depending on who you talk to. And that's not, that, that isn't me and like uh, condemning any brand or, or institution or anything. It's just the, the laws are different. The rules are different and your capacity is different. So that's a second way. Yeah. And you mentioned the, the compliance officer there. I feel like that was kind of the, the one thing that schools that maybe were not thinking quite ahead were a little bit behind. And, and, and I think that's, a, you know, we've talked about a little bit on the explosion of these companies surrounding NIL and, and marketing and whatnot. I feel like there, there's also going to be an explosion in positions created on the school side to just deal with NIL. I've seen a few um, and talked with a few administrators that are have either created or are hiring for a position do- dedicated solely to NIL. I'm not talking about branding. I'm not talking about marketing uh, in, in the athletic department, but I'm talking about usually a compliance officer or somebody ad- attached to the actual athletic department whose sole responsibility is is focused on clearing these NIL deals if there's not a, a third party administrator uh, in, in your state or a requirement for dec- disclosure. I think there's going to be a, a big emphasis on hiring folks that this is your job. And, and we're starting to see that at, at a few mostly power five schools. I'm not sure it's going to get down to that level at the group of five or beyond. But I think for a lot of these major schools, let's face it, they need to have a point person to kind of go to for both the athletes in terms of education, in terms of people that want to do deals. And I feel like it, it's kind of just being passed around the department. You handle this this aspect. We'll handle this aspect. And and eventually, I, I don't think that that is going to end up playing out. You know, I think you're, you're going to have dedicated departments at some of these major schools dedicated solely to NIL. Yeah, that, that speaks to one of the, I, I think that the significant challenges over the past couple of weeks, is when you don't really have a template, my kind of reading between the lines is that even some of these power five schools figured, we, we, we pay, we're, we're paying influencer for this. We're paying another consultant for this. We're paying somebody else to set up uh, our, our plan. And what that, you know, and that means that maybe you've taken care of some of the compliance angles, but in terms of these internal communications and then making sure that your athletes, almost all of whom have not been paying as religious attention to all this as you and I have, making sure they're aware of what's going on. From my kind of conversations around college athletics, I think a bunch of stuff fell through the cracks in June, and then everyone was was, was scrambling to put it back together right now. And, and I think part of that too was some confusion surrounding the role of the school itself. You yep. know, that they were allowed to provide education, sign you know deals with Open Doors and Influencer and, and Altruist and, and various educational partners. And I, I think there there was that focus that we'll we'll just outsource this. But I think a, a lot of people are starting to realize now we we need somebody dedicated inside the department. Yes, there has to be that clear dividing line to where the school is not arranging deals or doing anything like that. That's generally a no-no based on the state laws and some of the NCA guidance. But uh, ultimately, I think there's going to be a, a dedicated, maybe it's a, a, in the compliance department specifically, 
focus solely on NIL. And, and I think that is kind of where we're eventually going to get to. So if you have a law degree, if you're just coming out of school, you might have a marketing degree as well. There might be a, an athletic department hiring in the future if they're not already. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was interesting. I looked at that Sportico story from a couple of days ago. Like, yes, I'm, I'm sure many of these departments are hiring. Those are also not glamorous jobs. Oh. Working in athletic compliance is uh, does not pay super well unless you are the like the head of a, of a larger P5 school. Um, and it's it's hard and it's thankless. And uh, even with schools, I think really most of them erring on this more libertarian perspective as to what's going to be permitted and and how active a role they're going to they're going to be in there. It's it's still going to be hard. It's especially going to be hard this summer because there's going. My gut here is that there's going to be more activity in this space for the novelty of being in this space in the very beginning than there might be six months from now once we have some more hard data, particularly about using athletes as social influencers. And part of the reason, too, was, I mean, it was just a month ago, the NCAA was still kind of sort of working through their third party administrator process. Yep. They eventually backed out of that, not not the least because of the, the Supreme Court decision in the Alston case. And so I think there was you know, some hesitancy around folks to really committing resources to this. But I, I eventually see that kind of becoming much more of an issue for especially the power five folks that just want to keep tabs on things. Um, you know, it, it's difficult enough for compliance to you know register cars and, and keep track of things like that in their normal day-to-day jobs, you add NIL on top of that. And, you know, let's face it, some of the the athletic departments, they're, they're going to kind of steer clear of some of the deals their athletes are getting, because that's obviously that they, they can't openly say it, but they, they don't want to kind of take away from the athletes because, you know what, the coaches in, in another school might say, well, look, your, your department signed a deal with so-and-so, and that, that's taking away money from out of your pocket. And I imagine there's, there's going to be some sort of that uh, as well. But I mean, I, there's definitely going to be that because like, as I've said a couple of times before, Coaches are just going to say stuff, man. Coaches oh, yeah. in, in, in recruiting, they're already doing this now, whether it is divorced from reality or not. They're, they're definitely going to say it. Like we, I, I don't think there's any data we've seen over the last week to indicate, like to indicate that uh, there's, there's attention a, a immediately between university deals and athlete deals that might come later. What we really saw over the last week, and, and you know, I think what I'm doing is actually kind of a good example of this. The majority of these have been pretty small and they've been social social influency and they're not the kind of deals that a university is chasing anyway. And from talking to some a couple of big schools, including my alma mater, most of the deals that the, the athletic department has uh, are not exclusive. Like there's going to, there's, there's some exclusivity clauses in almost every athletic apparel deal. There's going to be some in pouring rights contracts and maybe one or two other ones. But if Ohio State decides to deal with Bob Evans to be the official breakfast sandwich of Ohio State football, that doesn't necessarily mean that that their next quarterback can't sign a breakfast sandwich deal with Dunkin' Donuts. And Ohio State realizes it's not worth it for me to go to the legal mattresses to protect this fifteen thousand dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I was out at the Elite Eleven uh, last week as well, which was uh, nice to cover an event I could actually walk to. I highly recommend that. But uh, you know, it was yeah. interesting to see some of the recruits. You know, I mean, you, you talk with a few of them. I, I, I don't think NIL is explicitly bring, being you know focused on and recruiting. It's still how we get to the NFL. You know, here's here's what your education is. Here's what your day to day life is. Here's some of the things that we can offer. It, it will become much more of a, a recruiting pitch. And while the coaches have to be careful at what they can truly promise and say, um, you know, I, I think there is the focus out there in terms of some of the deals that we've already seen. We, we Spencer Rattler w- w- was out there. Not only has, has he signed with a, a marketing agent in Steinberg Sports, which has represented a lot of number one overall picks, uh, you know, heavily influenced with the quarterback sphere, represent Patrick Mahomes uh, recently, who, who did his mega deal and has been pretty present in terms of marketing, um, you know, signing Spencer Rattler. That, that That's a big coup for not only Steinberg Sports, but uh, others out there. We saw Sam Howell. He signed with a, a marketing agent. I think the big time quarterbacks, they're going to have outside firms. Yep. For smaller athletes that maybe you talk to uh, for, for extra sponsoring extra point, I think the focus is still going to be through some of these marketplaces like Open Doors. Um, you mentioned, you know, kind of the social promotion. That That's where I think the bulk of kind of the, the mini deals are, are going to get done. And then you're going to have those those select few athletes like we've seen uh, so far. Um, you know, the, the quarterbacks, the uh, the the 
uh, Nebraska, the Fresno State uh, basketball players, those folks are, are going to get, uh, I think, the bigger representation. And that market, I think, is going to continue to evolve because we've only seen a handful of, of major brands really have some sort of plan in terms of dipping their water and, you know, dipping their toes into this kind of water. But uh, eventually that that's going to open up uh, quite a bit. And you're going to see the, the bigger brands, you know, you're going to see Nike and Adidas and Target and Walmart and some of these other brands say, you know, we can we can capitalize this in certain markets with a much more strategic uh, position than I think they've they've had in the past. I, I want to talk about those 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 marketplaces here actually because th- this this is a, an important conversation for what a lot of these deals are going to look like. That's the third way you can reach an athlete if you're looking to give them money above board. You can hit them up directly or her up directly. Correctly. You can go to the school and you can go to a marketplace. And there's a lot of these marketplaces right now. And a lot of them um, look different. I want to actually, I want to include a link in the show notes here on extra points. Uh, my, my friend, Christy Doche um, has like a big list of all of the different marketplaces. And a lot of them cater to different kinds of brands. The largest as far as I can tell right now, is probably Open Doors. Open Doors that you was know, founded by Nebraska guys, uh, had a lot of pre-existing relationships with a lot of these athletic departments. And you could hop in there and it's free for a, a brand to, to search the database. But if you want to actually pitch an athlete through there, you, uh, you, you know, you craft a deal, you see if that athlete's interested in their, in your, in that deal. And then Open Doors will take some money from the brand upon the conclusion of the deal. Now, there's a, a, a couple of things to keep in mind here. You know, one, um, it's not the easiest system to use as somebody that's used a lot of CMSs and a lot of like you know personnel databases and 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 some campaign managers. It's not it's not impossible. It's not it's not you know we're not we're not doing we're not programming in C sharp here or anything. But if you are a local restaurant or you are a smaller brand that hasn't done a lot of programmatic marketing expenses before. And these are the kind of companies that we sort of think about as being wanting to be active in the name, image, and likeness space. There's going to be a real learning curve. Um, And I'm talking like legitimate logistical learning curve. I'm in open doors. I'm in market price. I'm in no cap sports. How do I do a deal? How do I set up my campaign? How do I price it? How do I uh, search effectively? So that leads to a market inefficiency. It's not super easy right now for the brand, particularly if you're kind of new to this world, to um, find the right athletes at the right price um, and, and reach out to them. There's also inefficiency and friction on the athlete side. So one of the big problems that I struggled with because I, w- I was hoping to, to do some deals on July 1st, most athletes were not signed up to any marketplace before then. A couple of the larger marketplaces wouldn't even let athletes sign up and set up accounts until July 1st because everyone's worried about regulatory uh, uncertainty. Open Doors did, but if I sat down there, like my initial thought was, well, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in power five quarterbacks and power five skill position players. And I've written for months that I think women athletes are going to have marketability here. Let me try to find some Olympic sport athletes. All right. About Olympic sports all the time on extra points. But if I was to do a search for, show me all the Olympic sport athletes with Instagram pages, uh, Instagram accounts of more than 3000 followers, but less than a hundred thousand, you know, last week we're talking just dozens um, you know, maybe even less than dozens of athletes were showing up out of the potential thousands and thousands that could be there. So that's another thing that we're going to see or we'll need to see over the coming months or of, of our university is going to push athletes into one marketplace, into several marketplaces. Will they have will they know to sign up for these accounts? Do they know that they can be proactive and look for deals like there's there's an education piece on both sides that. I think many departments are locked out of right now. Now, if you're like open doors, got the whole Nebraska women's volleyball team signed up. Like you would expect that athletes at that school are going to be very familiar with that platform. And so I wouldn't be surprised if more of them get deals pretty quickly. Um, But comparable schools that may have marketable athletes, I think it's going to take them a little bit longer because it's not exactly a plug and play thing on these marketplaces. It's not. And, and I do think that is the area where you're going to see the most evolution over the six months. I think it's going to happen pretty quickly. You know, you mentioned Open Doors. A lot of those teams have dozens of engineers working on those apps, working on the on the back ends of things. And so I, I feel like that is going to mature pretty quickly as, as athletes cer- certainly get used to things. I mean, let's face it, a lot of them are, are not even you know at school. They're either taking summer yeah. school's classes. The NCAA kind of opened up things up to where they didn't necessarily have to take classes again in the summer to stay on scholarship. So they can maybe be be st- you know still in the college town they're at or um, you know 
and then even going going back home. So uh, and maybe you know once July, once August rolls around, and we start to get the students back on campus, get more regular meetings uh, inside their athletic department, especially in person, to where they can kind of go over these things. I, I think you're going to see some evolution in terms of both the athlete side being used to things. And then I think obviously the, the marketplaces themselves being a little bit more proactive in terms of reaching out and, and making it easier for especially those small businesses in, in a lot of these college towns who, let's say they, they might have one marketing person or it's a, it's an owner who does it kind of on the side and they might be used to buying Facebook ads, but this is a completely different ball game from SEO, you know, SEO optimization on your website and making sure that you can get your social ads bought. It, this is a, an entirely different thing uh, compared to that. And, and let's be honest, like Facebook ads are not the easiest thing in the world either. There's a whole cottage industry to help people optimize that. There's going to be cottage industries, I think, in this space. Like we already have like 10 industries that are seeking to fix the problem of matching athletes to brands. We'll probably then have consultancies or arms of those companies to help brands optimize themselves for athletes. Um, it's good work if you can get it. So like, and, and I, I can tell you of the, the three deals that I would have been able to, to announce and, and execute within this first week or so, right? Those were all football players, which is not what I had initially expected or, or planned on. And they're all, like two of them are, are offensive linemen. One, I've got a backup old lineman at Tennessee, uh, rotational offensive lineman at Purdue, somebody that I knew from Twitter because he's been, he's been reading me for years. Um, and then Michigan State's kicker who I knew because he he put together arguably one of the most successful ad campaigns on opening day about uh, being paid to, to, to hop on a Michigan State podcast. It was really funny. I saw that and like, figure oh, I should I should work with this guy too, sent him a DM. So all of those are brokered from Twitter. The deals that I'm going to be hoping to announce in the next couple of days. So some of them came through Open Doors. One of them came through Market Price. Market Price is a, a company that's also done, uh, you know, has, has done advertising work with Extra Points, um, and some of them have been through the schools themselves. So it's it's it, it's going to depend on what kind of campaign you want to run, what kind of athlete you're looking for, and I, I think if you're a larger company, you're probably going to want to set up accounts on multiple platforms if if athlete marketing is the most important thing here for you. Yeah, it would not be surprising in a year's time, you know, 18 months, two years from now, there, there's a lot of consolidation that goes on in terms of especially oh, yeah. marketplaces. Um, you know, it, it is just so new. There was so much uncertainty in terms of what the NCAA was going to permit, what schools were allowed to do, the various state laws. I mean, let's face it, you know, Mark Emmert was was on last week uh, on the NCAA social channels saying we still want to push for a congressional solution and having a federal law you know, kind of govern this. And so uh, the, the uncertainty is still not it's still out there. And so uh, I, I think that's kind of driving the, the business market as well. You know, the, the market does not necessarily enjoy and, and like uncertainty. Yeah, you can exploit it at times, but, um, you know, it, it is not the not the most easiest uh, inv operating environment uh, what we're currently in. So I think there's no. going to be a lot of that focus. And I, I'm curious, you know, when, when you talk about some of those those backup athletes, as you're looking through those marketplaces, what kind of prices are, are, are you seeing? I, I would imagine for some of the small business owners that might be out there that do want to kind look and, and maybe involve an athlete. Maybe it's a, a backup offensive lineman. Maybe it's a, a star wide receiver. What, what do you think the market is, is currently supporting? We've seen these big deals um, with the Eric King from Miami. We've seen some other uh, big deals in the, in the state of Florida for the, the quarterbacks and, and vice versa across the country. But it seems like the, the regular athlete, we're, we're still only talking about a couple hundred dollars. Honestly, potentially less than that. And what's important, I think, to realize when we're looking at pricing is that it's going to depend not just on the athlete and not just on the size of their networks, but it's also going to depend on what kind of company you're, you are and their audiences and what you'd like them to do. So the bulk of the deals that, that we're seeing right now are relatively simple one-off social medias. The, I, I don't mind sharing this for the, the three deals I've done so far. All three of them, I, I paid between $50 and $100 for a tweet and an Instagram post. And I gave them a special promotional code and I've told, and I'll do this for every athlete that, that if, listen, if somebody buys an extra point subscription using that code, I'll give you a commission. And here's it's $16 is, is, is for everyone. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about subscribing to extra points and maybe this week, instead of using the SCD, the, not the SCD, the, the podcast promo code for us, maybe use one of those athletes and then they get a little bit of extra money. Um, and, and honestly, given that everyone I've worked with has had a, a, a primary social following of under 10,000, I might've overpaid. You can get um, 
a, a one-off sponsored Instagram post or a one-off tweet from a, a, a micro audience for 50 bucks. Um, and, and depending on how you structure your incentives, it, it, it can be at that level. And even above that, uh, even somebody in the five figures you can get for under for $250 or under, they're not extremely expensive. And I think we're in a, in a key moment because everything is so new. There's a lot of news articles. So there's there's a lot of earned media out there that that a lot of these brands are getting from those, those small social followings. You can still have yep. a big impact because essentially the network effects. People see that they they obviously share it uh, beyond you know just social media. And, and you're seeing it appear on news articles. You're seeing it, uh, you know, really across the kind of media spectrum. And that, I think, ultimately will, will kind of fade away a little bit, especially as we kind of get into the season and there's actual news surrounding things. I, I'm just kind of curious to see who, who's really kind of going to take advantage in, in this interim to, to maybe they're buying followers and inflating things. I, I, I imagine we're going to see some sort of, uh, you know, firm out there that says, you know, those those athlete following numbers, though, you know. X percentage is fake. And, and I'm sure marketers are already, already used to kind of dealing with that. And when they do some of these athlete endorsement deals with these major, you know, athletes, I would imagine that's going to even filter down to some of the smaller um, schools and, and smaller athletes as well Is you got to be sure, you know, exactly who you're doing a deal with and exactly what kind of ROI you're going to get. Because I think for, for a lot of these businesses, they don't care right now. They, they know it's new. They can kind of take advantage of, of things right now, but eventually these boards, these, these corporate uh, entities, as they get more involved in the space, they're going to want to see some of the hard numbers in terms of their returns. And, and I think that's going to be hard to kind of justify, especially for those smaller athletes right now. It's nice, nice and new, but uh, down the road, you're, you're not probably going to get the bang for your buck like you are kind of in this interim period. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely something to the idea here that by being in this space very early, that you are going to maximize your, your spend because you get additional earned media, right? When I, when the, the deal I think I did with, with Eric at Purdue, I think might've been the first uh, announced deal from anybody at Purdue. And I, I got, it got written up on a couple of other Purdue sites, which expanded the reach. Um, Tennessee's football's Twitter community, God bless them, is very active. So when a former walk-on backup center, you know, secures a, a deal right on July 1st, you know, that that enhances the the reach of that particular tweet. I, I would imagine for a couple of the communities uh, that I'm talking to athletes for, I will probably get a little bit of that earned reach in the beginning. You're right. That's not going to last forever. For some markets, Ohio State football, it might, but for most, it, it, it probably won't. But what, I, what the advice I, I would give to an athlete and the advice I would give to a brand too is that you you can't look at this kind of uh, social marketing as just I am acquiring X number of social followers at this particular price, right? So I'll, I'll give an example. I'm talking to an athlete right now who is like the president of the Student Athlete Association at their FCS program, uh, and so that's somebody who is who's, is a sports management major. He wants to be an athletic director someday. He goes to all of the meetings with his university administrators. He already thinks about some of these issues. He's got four thousand followers. He's a starter. He's a productive player. Player, he's at an FCS football program. That kind of person is probably going to be more beneficial to me than, um, say, a direct-to-consumer brand um, or, or somebody that's trying to reach a different kind of audience. If, um, if I'm trying to increase my audience at a school where I already have a bunch of audience and trying to capture greater market share, it may make sense for me to go do a deal with somebody who has a smaller niche audience than it would be for a national one. The national direct-to-consumer brands or some of these really bigger entities, you're right, that's a numbers game for them. Uh, and then it doesn't really make sense to peel off a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks there for, for some smaller, uh, some smaller athlete accounts. They're going to go for the 50,000 plus. Uh, and that's, and that's okay too. There's going to be something here for everybody. Um, but what makes sense for one person or one brand or one deal isn't going to be as valuable for somebody else. And it takes some time to train, not just brands, but athletes and schools to all think that way. And I, you you mentioned the school part. I'm very curious to see how this kind of new era we're in is going to change media coverage. You know, it used to be those coaches didn't allow either t even Twitter accounts. I mean, very famously, oh, yeah. Alice Winnie, uh, you know, at Clemson said, you know, we're, we're not going to have social media. You know, and, and I think those days are over. The days completely, of completely done. 
the days of preventing freshmen from giving interviews, I, I think are completely done because you don't want to be seen not only as anti-media, but, you know, this is a way for those athletes to kind of get, get their name out there, number one, um, and, and, and earn experience, you know, not only dealing with outside companies, but, uh, you know, dealing with the public and, and, and making sure that their brand uh, is well represented in the public sphere. And so I think that is going to be an intriguing kind of side topic to kind of focus on, especially as media days come up. I mean, you thought guys were, were didn't really want to you know go go to their media day and represent their school and, and talk with reporters for half an hour to an hour every day I, th- those 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 slots are, are going to get fought over uh, by, by some of the players on, on teams yep. nowadays and that that to me especially when you, when you talk with coaches who are such control freaks over the message and, and what's coming out of their football building that that's going to change significantly in, in this new era you know it, it's funny you mention that because I've been I've been thinking about this and so much of my source network, for building extra points. And then honestly, even just since I became a professional sports writer has certainly skewed towards coaches and administrators. And I think that that's honestly true for most people in our industry, because it's much easier to talk to those individuals, right? Like there, there, I don't have to go clear something with the coach's agent or necessarily with an, with an SID or communication staff. I want to talk to them. Historically, I'd have to jump through a bunch of different hurdles to talk to an athlete. And you're right. Um, with, with this system here, I've had more conversations with athletes than I have in, in the last 10 days than I've had in the last six months beforehand, and including some for athletes in sports I didn't really know. And you know, if, if, if one way I could evaluate the ROI on some of these deals is, is uh, look at it as a chance to, to be able to, to buy into a network that I wasn't in so much before to help make my product better. And I can honestly see local media and like recruiting coverage and other blogs and, and entities that do are not television rights holders that kind of automatically get that in. I could see s- several of them kind of using this as a way to enhance their uh, their ability to build relationships. Now, on the other side, this is something I've been thinking about a lot, and it's po- it's it's possible that that you know I've, I've already aired and and may and may read the course correct. There's also a big ethical consideration for media entities or radio stations being involved here, right? I, most of Extra Points coverage and most of the coverage that you and I do is less focused about individual players or even individual teams as it is structural issues. So I look at this and think, I don't think there's an, a huge immediate conflict of interest in me doing a small $75 deal with Michigan State's kicker because I probably won't need to write about Michigan State's kicker. Uh, I might you know, reach out to them and, and ask for uh, some uh, a very high-level question about how a locker room works, but I, I'm not covering Michigan State. If I was a local radio station that is covering the team and, and talking about the team and being a part of these press conferences, and I set up some of these commercial relationships, I can definitely see how that would improve your coverage, but that's going to create lots of other issues. And to be clear, I mean, on some level, I think that that's true for even for ESPNs and CBSs and Foxes and broadcast entities, because they very clearly still have commercial relationships with the entities that they cover. But that's going to be something to think about here. I think if I was in the business of more closely covering individual athletes or individual schools, for me, I don't think it would be appropriate for me to be involved in trying to reach out to many of these athletes. And that's also part of why I'm like, I'm not really looking for, for big P5 starters um, not just because I have a smaller budget, but also I, I want to limit potential exposure to conflict of interest. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think that is going to be a tricky subject for a lot of media members to, to navigate who maybe are, are new to the space. But I, I think it's ultimately not going to be a huge deal. I, I think there, there will be certain disclosures that have to be made, but ultimately yeah. I think it, it can be good. And, you know, I, I just coming to my mind right now, I think back to you know, WEI in, in, in Boston, they usually pay, you know, they used to pay Tom Brady for interviews every week. I, I could see something like that happening in, in a town like like Auburn or you mentioned Michigan State maybe it's it's a, a Mountain West program there there's a local radio station they, they pay the star quarterback you know a, yep. a certain amount of money they come on every week they discuss the game that that's something that is certainly of news value uh, when you can actually discuss the the, the game and I, I think ultimately that that's going to be great for the athletes it's going to be great for, for media coverage too because you know that that's not that's insight as well prepared as those quarterbacks or offensive linemen or wide receivers might be in terms 
terms of appearing on that, um, you're, you're going to get some insight that, that's going to be unique and certainly a little bit removed um, from your brands. And I'm very curious, too, to see kind of what kind of guerrilla marketing we, we start to see as, as well. You know, maybe you're not an official sponsor uh, in, involved in an athletic department. Maybe you don't have those banner ads. Maybe you're, you're not uh, tied in with a booster or anything like that. Uh, but you still want to kind of get in on on that excitement surrounding not only college football Saturdays, but big basketball games, big baseball games uh, in, in the South. I, I would imagine you're going to see see that a little bit, not only from brands, but also from some media entities as well that uh, are maybe not official partners, but but can be via NIL. Yeah, I, I, the, honestly, the guerrilla marketing side, I'm thinking more about guerrilla marketing from the athletes is one of the things I'm most excited about this because I, I think you and I, are similarly aligned. One of the ways that re- reasons that I love college football and college sports generally is not just through the lens of college football Twitter or college sports Twitter, but through the the silliness and the unpolishedness and and the the kind of rough around the edges that is inherent with any enterprise that relies on college students. Because if college students are going to be a big part of it, it will by its very nature be stupid. And that is not something I'm saying pejoratively. It's why people love college game day, because it gives an opportunity for college students to be both creative and stupid on national television. And that and with that brightens our lives a little bit on Saturday morning. And I'm looking around just in the past couple of days. We had a rice football player accept a name, image and likeness deal to try and go get one of his friends, a girlfriend. We had the 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 you know Michigan State's kicker that 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 he was like, listen, you know, I'm on this podcast. I was paid to say it. I'm sure it's fine. I haven't listened to it, you know, and, and kind of that 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 voice was really funny. We've, we just saw a barbecue place sponsor the entire Arkansas offensive line, which I cannot, I can't think of a, of a better alignment there. You're going to see some athletes get weird and creative and, and chase things that are unique. And if we're the kind of people that enjoy college football memes and weird crowd shots and all of the, the kind of like offbeat stuff that makes this particular sport and college basketball and college soccer all interesting, I think some of the different creative ways that people could take advantage of NIL are only going to add to that. Like the, the, the meme potential of this whole enterprise, very high. Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, right away, as soon as you, you talk with folks about NIL, the thing that came to my mind in particular was T-shirts. You know, I, I think we've seen these viral moments that happen on the sports field get turned into a T-shirt, especially with, you know, folks like Breaking Tea Company, oh, yeah. um, you know, others that, that have kind of sprouted up. And, and they've done deals with, you know, the NFLPA and, and various pro you know organizations to be able to do that with college athletes to take advantage of the, that meme that pops up every Saturday or just that, that special moment, you know, where you... F- crazily flip some playoff race uh, based on some wild trick play. I mean, the opportunities for athletes to cash in on those moments now, uh, I I think is huge. I think more than anything, you know, whether you're a a backup or a starter, uh, I think you're going to see some significant deals where you get a cut on some of that merchandise. And and I think that's where ultimately athletes could make uh, quite a a bit of bang for their buck in terms of those viral T-shirt moments, viral merchandise moments. That's going to be huge starting this fall and, and beyond. I, I think we, we just saw a division three tennis player who's I don't, I don't think an especially great division three tennis player in Iowa kind of come, you know, make a couple of, uh, you know, pseudo local television commercials, which are hilarious. Uh, we've seen terrible commercials that coaches have had to do by virtue of just like their contracts. Now let's go picture a 20 year old who doesn't know how to look at the camera correctly. It's, it's going to be a delight. And some of them may make actual legitimate money from it. Many of them won't, but they'll come away with not just like fun memories, which is part of what college is about generally. But I think everyone's going to come away with this learning some legitimate skills about entrepreneurship, about marketing, um, about, about creating, uh, you know, creating video and, and, and adjusting uh, images and everything that are going to be really valuable, you know, in my best NCAA voice, like when they go pro in something other than sports, which is allegedly part of this entire enterprise. So there's, I haven't seen anything so far that makes me question whether I think any of this is a good idea. I, I can see how it's going to take a little bit of time for everyone to get on the same page. But my initial thinking of, I think this is a big benefit for women athletes. This is something that's going to maybe improve financial outcomes for local businesses. It's a different way for people to engage with the sports that they like. I haven't seen anything that's maybe changed my mind. I still think this is a net positive thing. 
I, I completely agree. And I, and I think even especially with the Olympics coming up, we've mentioned a couple of times. I mean, just the, the fact that there's there's going to be such a tune in factor for some of these sporting events for what we call non-revenue athletes, whatever it might be, those sports, you know, track and field, volleyball. You know, yes, you, you're going to get kind of get that secondary effect from the Olympics and, and, and the upswell and, and focus on those sports. And if you're a college athlete in, in uh, you know, a, a small college town, this is a terrific opportunity, you know, to kind of get in that. And we mentioned the guerrilla marketing before. And you're, you're going to see companies kind of take advantage of that, even if there might not be an athlete in Tokyo. You know, if, if you're a volleyball athlete and USA wins gold, you can kind of get some of that spillover effect. And I, I think it's going to be fantastic to see. And uh, I would be hesitant if, if I if I didn't catch up uh, just a little bit on, on something you said there with, um, you know, the, the video game and, and, and group licensing. I think that's another mm-hmm. thing that, you know, we, is also going to come out of this. We've started to see some movement a little bit. I know you've written quite a bit on extra points about group licensing and the EA video game we're supposed to get an announcement uh, a, a press conference i guess you will uh, later in july but but i think there a lot of listeners are hopeful for an update on the video game itself so what, what i can tell you is i've talked to people at ea and i've i've, I've kind of asked around the industry i'm not expecting any significant news later in july from ea about college the college football video game i expect that press conference to be about a, a features that are going to be added to other ea sports franchises what i can say is like i can tell you from the very beginning ea wanted to put current college athletes in their football video game that makes a better video game and they especially want to do that since now multiple schools have said if you can't pay the kids i don't want to be in the game like notre dame um i as far as i know right now ohio state has not committed to being in this project um usc has not committed to being in this project tulane which is a team that i always like to play as um they said that we're not going to be in if uh if we can't pay the athletes now the problem like uh, it's not so much that the their individual name image likeness licenses didn't make that possible, but EA needs a group license because they don't want to individually reach out to all 10,000 football players and negotiate a different rate and then have to do that every single year for the game. Most of the professional games, the group license is done through a union, which college athletes do not have. So the conventional wisdom, and you and I had talked about this before, is that you needed there would need to be some kind of federal bill that recognized some kind of group that would allow for group licensing because state law has been mostly mum about group licenses. The positive momentum that we've seen is that even though we don't have that federal legislation yet, we honestly, we might not now for months. It might not happen until much later this fall since Congress is about to go on recess, is that you have one company called One Team Partners that's basically like, well, we're just going to try to do this from scratch. And we're going to work with Oprah. We're going to work with Influencer. We're going to work with a couple of these other large marketplaces. I think they're working with Open Doors, too, to try and cobble something together one by one. And if open, if, if one team partners who has a ton of experience with group licenses is able to do that and sign up enough athletes, then they could say, okay, we worked at these other marketplaces. The schools are helping us with this. We've rounded up 4,000 athletes, EA, you cut the check right here, then it's going to happen. And you know, I, I don't, I don't mind telling everybody the game is scheduled to come out or they're, they're rather EA is telling schools that it's the game is expected to come out in the summer of 2023. I would be very, very, very surprised if, college athletes names and likenesses are not part of that game i would expect that to happen i i would too and you know you mentioned we, we've got two years to to go so a lot long time in video game development a lot of time for the marketplace to kind of figure things out and and frankly you know these athletes are going to be so excited to get into the video game see themselves uh portrayed on the screen that they're, they're whatever it vehicle that there will be to get in that i think there's going to be a lot of excitement and, and they will almost go out and and, and search for it if, if they, that can get their name into a video game i think that's ultimately going to happen in, in whatever form or fashion it's going to take obviously we, we've mentioned it too the the fact that there is still federal legislation that that might be coming and, and might provide a little bit more guidance on this subject so i, I still think ea is playing the long game they, they've got to do the actual work in terms of programming and and focusing on how to you know replicate notre dame stadium and on, on a fall and that, that's where the bulk of their efforts are going to come. And then then they'll kind of move on to the marketing piece. And I, I think it's going to be fantastic, too, to be able to see. I mean, so much of, of that video game was about the, the previous year stars. They, they got the cover. It was That was yeah. kind of the marketing hype. It's, it's going to be 
awesome, you know, to, to be able to see current athletes maybe make it onto a cut firm, uh, you know, kind of be the focus of the video game. And, and I, I think it's going to be great for, you know, really everybody involved because that was, that was such a key part of, I think, college football fandom was playing that video game. Just kind of had it back in our minds and, and in kind of the, 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 the general uh, public's consciousness is, is going to be fantastic to see in a couple of years. Yeah. And, and, you know, from some of these conversations that I've had, um, you know, I, I think a couple of things that consumers should be aware of, and I'm, I'm going to write a little bit more about this soon. I just sent off another gigantic batch of, of FOIAs um, to learn a little bit more. I've been told, one, that EA and CLC have begun the process to reach out to schools to schedule site visits, to, to get the, the IP that they need to begin to digitize. Almost everybody's has changed since 2014. They need to get the right uniforms, the right colors, and eventually they're gonna show up on all the campuses to take pictures to get those stadium rent, the stadium rendering. Um, a lot needs to happen on the technical side before this game is ready. It's not an accident that they picked 2023. You know, part of that is this is a next generation release. And so we need time for people to be able to buy PlayStation 5s and, and new Xboxes. There's a microchip shortage right now. Like we, we need we need time to get up to that point. And there's a ton of, of technical time that needs to be spent getting the, 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 the blood and guts of this game ready. I, I, I've said this to everybody who will listen. I'm willing to stake my reputation on it. This is not going to be a Madden reskin. Um, there's a ton of gameplay and like and core functionality that needs to be updated. And the last college football game was two video game systems ago, and that development team has been scattered throughout the company. So there's there's a lot that needs to be done with the code to literally rebuild it. So that's why it can't come out next month. Um, the other interesting thing on the licensing angle, we can kind of wrap up on this that I've heard is you know, previous video games didn't have coach licenses. And that's something that I'm told EA is going to uh, try to get this time, even if they can't get everybody to work through agencies to get the coach name and their actual likeness in a game. Um, we, in the past, um, the video game has, has, has talked about licensing rivals or 247 intellectual property uh, to make the recruiting functionality more realistic. That was schools uh, about you know over a decade ago pushed back on that. Things have changed. We've seen now some state laws allow for high school athletes to utilize their name, image, and likeness, which means there's theoretically nothing stopping EA as long other than cost to license high school athletes and put them in the game as potential recruits. There is an element of realism here that is possible Eventually, there becomes a diminishing returns point financially and logistically. But there's 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 things that were not in previous video games that really have the, the potential to be in this video game that could make it a much more engaging product. And left unsaid, I, I think they ultimately would, would like some clarity in terms of the postseason picture and what they ultimately have to put in that game. If, if there's going to be a 12 team playoff when that starts, what kind of structure it's going to take. So I think that's kind of the uh, the additional element of the kind of the, the big payoff at the end, um, yep. just with your franchise mode or whatever it might be. You know, there also has to be kind of that tie in with the ultimate prize in the sport. But I, I'm excited. I'm excited to see, especially on kind of the next gen consoles. I think eventually, maybe even in by two years time, we're, we're kind of going down the road of AR and are if you read some of the, the tech publications out there. So I, I think it's going to be fantastic from playing on your phone to playing on those next gen consoles. Uh, I, I can't wait to see, you know, the the eye dotted uh, at the horseshoe or, you know, some of those ultimate uh, truly, you know, endemic to college football uh, moments that we can see in the video games, hopefully with the current athletes themselves, because uh, they, they are they are the biggest pro part of the product. And, and I think we're, we're going to see them slowly but surely kind of cash in on not only what they're doing on the field, but uh, what they, they've been able to accomplish off of it as well. You bet. I'm going to, I hope to have some more actual reporting on where we are in this process and what things look like financially and structurally on extra points in the next couple of weeks. I've, I've, I have, I have some phone calls out. I'm, I'm, I'm working those phones. Um, but yeah, I, I wanna, if you want to put a bow on everything here, it's been a week. The earth is still spinning on its axis. College football and college athletics, as we know it, have not been irrevocably nuked from orbit and, and ruined. And in fact, I'm probably a little bit more interested for this season, this fall, not just for football, but I think for some of these other sports than I was three weeks ago, uh, that might just be because I've had a vacation 
And I know that the, the, these, these games are actually going to have fans and most of them should play as originally scheduled. And we don't have this sense of foreboding doom that we did around this time last season. And we're going to keep, uh, we're going to keep tracking this. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I have some, some notes on this whole uh, topic. We didn't quite get to that. I'm going to put up there on extra points. I imagine we're going to have one or two other name image and likeness stories coming on extra points in the near future as well, along with some other things that don't have to do with this in case you want to actually hear about something else for a change. I've got a story coming out very soon about a new college football league. That's was, uh, that was founded by two women. That's completely outside the scope of the NCAA that has a weight limit um, of 180 pounds. So if you want to go see a bunch of uh, a bunch of 145 pound kids playing offensive line and look at the absolute most skilled, most explosive middle school football game you've ever seen, but in college, I've got something for you over at extrapointsmb.com. Uh, Brian, what are you working on right now? A uh, whole, whole lot of uh, preview stuff. Uh, if, if you have not already gotten your Athlon Sports Magazines, we've got the NFL and college football editions out there. So you know, go to your newsstand, grab one. You can go to athlonsports.com and, and find a way to order your copy as well. And uh, always find me on Twitter at Brian D. Fisher. It's, it's been fantastic to kind of see this emerging era. And, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm shocked. You, you mentioned Extra Points that, that just now. I mean, the fact that we've made it through this podcast and almost entirely without mentioning your OnlyFans article recently, I, I feel like was was quite the accomplishment this week. I, I listen. I I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll I'll plug that real quick because this was this was serious professional journalism, and and the reason I brought it up is not to to, to make jokes or anything, right? Just about every state and most schools are saying athletes don't do deals with porn companies, don't do deals with alcohol companies, don't do deals with gambling entities, but we can think of some pretty obvious examples of what would constitute a gambling company, like an actual casino, and what would constitute an adult entertainment company, say a adult video production studio. But OnlyFans is kind of a, an interesting test case because it's, it's, a, it's a gigantic company that caters to the creator economy to allow people to monetize relationship with their fans, which is almost exactly what name image you like this is. That's what we've been talking about for the past 45 minutes. You don't have to make adult content on OnlyFans. Just most people do. So I talked to compliance professionals. I talked to people who are producing uh, content on OnlyFans right now. Uh, I talked to a, a few other industry insiders to get an idea of, is this allowed? And the answer is, at a public school, probably. And then, should you do it? And I don't like to moralize here too much, but I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my best dad voice here. Uh, it's not worth it. Uh, I, I understand why you think it might be funny. I was a 20 year old once too. I probably would have done it back then because I thought it was funny. I've even joked about it uh, before with like uh, creating an extra points only fans to just do woodworking videos. Um, now that I know more about that platform, I do not recommend it. And I will not be doing it here myself because it is not brand safe, but that's that may be a more outlandish example, but I mean, Brian, you and I could probably sit here and think of some companies that are, are, in, are interested in being involved in this space right now that are much more ambiguous about whether they are a banned industry or not. Like that's that's a legitimate compliance question. I think that is absolutely going to be the topic of a lot of these news stories as we kind of come out over the next couple of months of, of what uh, might be towing the line, what might be crossing the line and, and what kind of that gray area and how we define it. And I think you're even going to see some lawsuits uh, kind of pop up surrounding some of those limitations, not only in terms of the state laws, but also what the NCAA is doing, what the schools are permitting. So yep. it, it's still a moving, uh, you know, kind of moving object. And, and uh, I, I can't wait to see the evolution of this space because there's so much to track and it's going to be fun. And listen, if, if you're out there, you, you want to sponsor our name and our image, you know, please get in touch with us. We've just mentioned our Twitter, extrapointsmb.com. Feel free because uh, we're, we're open for business as well. I could not possibly be more open for business. I literally sell ads on extra points. I have unsold ad inventory on that newsletter uh, for August. And so I had, listen, hey, if you've got a brand and you want to reach a bunch of college athletic administrators and uh, college athletic super fans, and now, now some more college athletes, um, ads start at just 150 bucks a week. Hit me up at sales at extrapointsmb.com. Um, could you buy a tweet from me? I don't know. DM me, send me an offer. We'll, we'll, we'll be digging into all that stuff for a little bit more uh, as well. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for reading. It's been a fun week. It's going to be a fun rest of the summer. I'm Matt. That's Brian. We'll catch you next week. 